Hi, this is Kevin Townsend. I'm one of the producers who worked on Floodlines. We wanted to share an episode of another podcast. It's called Some of My Best Friends Are. It's from Pushkin Industries, not from The Atlantic, but we thought it would interest Floodlines listeners. This episode is about policing, alternatives to policing, and how the narratives around crime shape communities. Take a listen. Your mom left the south side of Chicago. She lives with you now in New Jersey. Yeah, and, but, 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 you know, more, but more specifically, that... like, she didn't just leave. Uh, she purchased a handgun a couple of years huh. ago because she wasn't feeling safe. Yeah and, yeah, and and that's someone who should not be, she's got a <laughs> shaky hand, I know. She should not be wielding a gun. Yeah. So when she told me this, I was like, Mom, you have to move here. Like, yeah. if it's come to that, like, Chicago needs another handgun on the street, right? Mm-hmm. So if it comes to that, then it's time for you to come be with us. Yeah. I'm Khalil Gibran Muhammad. And I'm Ben Austin. We're two best friends. One black. One white. I'm a historian. And I'm a journalist. And this is Some of My Best Friends Are. In this show, we wrestle with the challenges and the absurdities of a deeply divided and unequal country. In today's episode, we talk about violence and it's personal. We're talking about our hometown. We're talking about our neighborhood. We're talking about the most spectacular instances of gun violence. We're worried. We're worried about uh, overcorrecting or going back to business as usual, that somehow policing is going to solve this all on its own. And ultimately, we have solutions. You know, we've talked to someone who has solutions. We've written about these solutions ourselves. Uh, but we want to get at solutions that will actually fix these problems and has very little to do actually with law enforcement. So, hey, man, we haven't really talked about this, but uh, I mean, Hyde Park, our home neighborhood has experienced some of the, I mean, like unprecedented violence collapsing in one day. Uh, and we haven't talked about it. How are you doing? Uh, what's going yeah. on now? What's the response? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, there was a day a week ago where there was a, a shooting with automatic fi- gunfire in Harper yeah. Court. There was a murder of a University of Chicago student and a murder, a stabbing of a man in a domestic situation. I don't even know much more about it. And yeah. it's really scary. I mean, people are scared and yeah. people yeah. are there. There's, you know, the loss of life and and then thinking about, you know, for for me and I think for you, too, like, uh, how do well, you feel I'm, I'm safe? But also, you guys, yeah. But yeah. also the fear that there's going to be some response that is going to be like more policing and it's going to cause it's going to cause other problems. Like I'm scared of that. Right. Yeah. Well, I can tell you from my, from my mom who I've gotten a lot of reports on. She's watching. <laughs> yeah. this I see it. I see her on social media every day uh, talking about it. So. Yeah. I mean, she she and I have basically been having an ongoing conversation uh, about it because she's getting news stories. She's talking to people who live in Chicago, live in your neighborhood, uh, people that you all know and mutual in common. Uh, and I'm really concerned not only about you know how how people experience uh, what's happened, but also what comes next. Yeah. You know, people in a moment like this decide to pack up and leave. Like it's an existential moment. You know, people are like, I've had enough. Yeah. And yeah. this is what this is what destroys communities. Yeah. So I mean I'll tell you that I have neighbors who are like, you know, this is part of the conversation. 
is this the breaking point? Is it, should we leave? And yeah. I hate hearing that. I hate it. I mean, and I know, I know that, that people, you know, that we have to have really honest discussions about crime and safety, but, you know, I feel committed to this city and to this neighborhood. And so there's something so destructive well, it, for me. It's also, I think what I'm most interested in talking to you about today is exactly how this moment opens up possibilities that we haven't really done before and or in thinking about the summer of George Floyd and everything that came and, the, you know, the possibilities of really understanding the relationship of of social justice and policing, you know, yeah. Like yeah, this is the moment. This is the moment to test our metal, right? Yeah. To see, yeah, because, to see because what we're, were, we're, we're willing to do. The responses to crime, and in a moment like this, they're almost predictable, more policing. But we want to talk about, you know, what are the other responses? What are other responses that that are better? So let let's go to Hyde Park. Let's look exactly at what happened there, and mm-hmm. let's look at the responses yeah. uh, because. Let's meet because people where they are. Let's really understand exactly how yeah. people are responding to this moment. You know, some of the some of the responses are going to be predictable, but but I think there's a lot to learn in this moment. Yeah, so I called up Sophia King, who is my local alderman, and you know her. So, Sophia, I'm recording. Oh, are you? Yeah. Oh, okay, Try. okay. So, should I turn off this radio? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's, good. She's yep. good people. And I just saw her when I was there a couple weeks ago when I visited yeah, town. You saw her saw here. Her. Yep. And so, you know, she, she's, she's black, and I wanted to hear what happened from her perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and... And so at noon, you know, it's it's a busy um, street, and and it's right in the middle of the day in downtown Hyde Park, um, and yeah, uh, it could have been a mass murder. And also get a better sense of what the responses have been, because she's been in in hundreds of meetings since then. Yeah. With concerned, you know, what everyone, the, the stakeholders, as we call them, right? People are calling for more policing. I, you know, my response is, is that um, this is also an opportunity to have alternative policing. Like yeah. the neighbors, the, the store owners, the, the University of Chicago, they're scared and they want to know, they want to know what to do about this crime and they want to know what she's going to do. You know, right? Um, and you know, I just want to make sure that that um, you know there's the appropriate response. And think, and speaking of you know appropriate uh, policing, there are other avenues. I mean, you know, cr- a crime occurs, and then what is the proper response? I mean, that's what we're where you and I are always talking about this. We're, right. we're but we're also, I mean, about, yeah, I, I'm interested in hearing what she says also because. Uh, you know, I know my mom is, you know, like so many others, and she's in conversation with other people. It's not just her. You know, this is her Facebook feed. But but people are, like, wondering, where are the police? Yeah. yeah. And what are they doing about this? And, yeah. Uh, and, and now that and, – and, of course, we're like, well, you know, what does that mean for all that we've been talking about in terms of yeah. Yeah, how it's police funny do or do not solve these problems? 
Yeah, and you know, Sophia in a way is is going to be held accountable for this. You know right. that that she's directly people, responsible. This if people is her, feel unsafe, yeah. someone's going to run against her and say, "I'm the safety candidate." Right, and so she has to respond to this, and it doesn't. And, and you know, she's she ha- the first. She's literally the first layer of of government. Right, she is yes. the local council member. Uh, so if 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 there is a way that the political process actually works to solve really tough problems when people are afraid to leave their homes to send their kids to and from school she is the first person to be held accountable for delivering that public service and she's a neighbor too and i know that she's experiencing this in a in a real way that you know i i'm friends with her and i've known her for years but i know that she's also on the block driving around has some of the same concerns that danielle my wife has and also that i have and so I, I trust her opinion. I trust that she will speak honestly about these issues. Do you, do you feel le- less safe? Are you taking more precautions? No, I do. So it's, a, it's real. You know, on the one hand, I talk about statistics, but I also use that to educate myself and to... Um, so you do, you do feel less safe? Yes, I do feel less safe. I, I, gosh, I come out of my, my uh, parking, um, out of my garage, and I'm turning my head and because going... You've had friends on your block yes, who were carjacked. Yes, I've had friends on my block. I've yeah. had my good friends who were carjacked. And, and, and it's very traumatic for them. It's traumatic for me, um, you know, to know that that happened and to know how they feel and 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 it's hard to internalize it so we we you and i are constantly talking about about over policing and also about responses to crime and about the criminal justice system and so here we are in our neighborhood where i live and where you grew up and where your mom just left um and there's this crime that occurs and what are, how do you respond to it in the short term, in the long term? What do you do to, to make people feel more safe and then, you know, not make things worse at the same time? I mean, so here we are, right? We're, we're, we are, uh, what are we, a year and a half. We're, we're <laughs> what a are year we? And I, th- half. I thought you were going to say we are two leading experts on criminal yeah. justice system. <laughs> we're a year and a half since the, the massive protests following the murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor by police officers mm-hmm. and, and, and widespread calls for defund the police. And, and, you know, there are people, then when crime occurs, when it occurs in Chicago, when it occurs all over the country, people return to this sense of like, well, shit, we must need more policing. You know, forget defund. We need actually more policing because that's what's going to keep us safe. That there is still this fallback to to the kind of status quo sensibility of of public safety. Yeah, yeah. Or that um, that there's something. I mean, I, I I would I would put it a little differently. I would say that while while it's certainly true, we've seen news reports of refund. Almost every city that promised some kind of cut has put a lot of that money back. Uh, in cities all over the country. Um, I would say that, but part of what I'm sensing uh, from the conversations that are happening on social media about what's happening in Chicago and even sort of watching the New York City mayoral race here. Here here, here in in New New York. Here in New Jersey. Is that there's this sense that the uptick in violence requires uh, an immediate response, like somehow the protests unleashed a sense of entitlement to the streets, that lawlessness 
has just yeah. sort of taken advantage. My mom even used the word like this is a these are people who are doing things out of opportunity. Um, and that somehow like a tourniquet, there needs to be some immediate response to stop the bleeding. And then we could get back to these bigger questions. Yeah, and I think, yeah. and and, I think and, that's and I, the kind of the tension, uh, certainly the tension I feel in my own household talking about this, but it's, it's also the tension I think I feel when I'm listening to people, you know, who have, have a more complicated response to this than just the old law and order stuff from back yeah. in the day. And I'm wondering, what does Sophia say about this? How does she yeah. balance this so, tension and awareness of like the, the consequences of kind of going back to a much more vigorous police presence versus uh, figuring out something new? Yeah, I mean, Sophia is complicated. She's the head of the Progressive Caucus at, in the city council. She does ask for things like alternative forms of policing. She asks for funding for, for you know, housing and schools. Mm -hmm. But she also wants boots on the ground. She yeah. wants more police officers. If we can get to a utopia where people are not committing violent crimes, you know, um, then, you know, I think we can talk about uh, some of the stuff that the abolitionists are talking about. Um, but I don't I think we should move towards those ideals, uh, but keep some real boots on the ground. That's that's the reality. I, I think we need more presence um, and police is part of that. I also think, you know, positive loitering and having a bustling and hustling uh, business is a part of it. But you're right. Um, you know, these are crimes of opportunity where there there's not much, you know, somebody could do. I mean, one of the one of the reasons I think we decided to have a bigger conversation about it happening here in Hyde Park and in, in the neighborhood where I live and where you grew up is that like that I'm experiencing that need for an immediate response. This is the community where where we live, you know, so this is real for my family. So Lucia, my daughter, who is 16, still walks to and from school. And now that it's, you know, now that it's winter, it's dark when she comes back. And every mm -hmm. day after school, she likes to stop by the Medici, this, this uh, <laughs> restaurant and get our you know, favorite, like our favorite pizza place back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. But, but, but she, her, her friends have been told that they're not allowed to go out with her, not because really? she's a bad influence, or maybe that is the reason I don't know. But, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, but because the parents are worried about crime and they can't be out when it's after school or, or walk around. Okay, and so this this is a this is a totally new thing in response to the shootings that happened in, in Hyde Park re most recently. This is this is right now happening. Yeah, right now happening. I mean, okay. she has one friend who this is you know I heard this secondhand from a sixteen year old, so mm -hmm. <laughs> take it take it like that. <laughs> but uh, who she was told that she can't sit in the front of their of their home. Oh wow, uh, that's facing the street because they're worried wow. about stray gunfire. I mean, um, like, so I'm just, I mean, I'm reacting to this because, of course, I mean, that's real, right, in every possible way. And and, and people do get killed uh, randomly and oftentimes kids. But, like, this is this is our neighborhood. Like, yeah. it's a no, very it's, middle class, upper income community. And so the thought that that's the advice now in Hyde Park is really wild. And, you know, I have talks with her about not being the low hanging fruit, right. about not walking with her phone out and looking at her phone. That there have yeah. been a lot of robberies of people just pulling up and, and jumping people and taking their phones. And yeah. often with guns, you know, saying, give me what you, what you have. And so I yeah. tell her not to be that person who is with, with her head down in a phone and looks like an easy target. Yeah. 
Right. I'm seeing that there that, that isn't abstract and like no no come on wait for the that people right. feel endangered like the the ice cream fudge store where that got shot up the the employees asked all to be transferred to another another branch of the store and the right. store owner a black business owner who's been there for like a decade is like I don't think I'm going to open up again like yeah. they don't feel safe I I went to um a meeting of the Chamber of Commerce. I did this on Zoom. And all the store owners from the neighborhood were like, they wanted to know what to do. And it wasn't like they were all demanding more police, but they were like, what do we do to feel safe? You right. know, sh- should we have cameras? Should we have drones? Should we like, you know, should there be security guards? Like they wanted something. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, just to add to that, I, I also read an open letter written by something like 300 faculty members at the University of Chicago in response to the killing of a Chinese national student, a student here. Yeah. So the, the student um, who was robbed. The student uh, was robbed of his cell phone. Was a yeah. Chinese national student who was here in the neighborhood. And he's he's the third University of Chicago student killed this year and the second one who is an international student. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and, and in that letter of, of this open letter, which by only by virtue of names seem to be a majority of people who would be Asian identified by name. Yeah, no, for um, sure. And the names were, yeah. uh, you know, many of them were, were of Chinese origin. Yeah. And, and a couple things jumped out, I mean, to this point about how do you respond? I mean, there was like literally a call for surveillance cameras, and this is not an exaggeration, on every intersection um, in, in Hyde Park. And while they didn't quite say cops on every corner, they did say security guards on every, on every corner. And, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I, could, I can certainly understand it because the stakes of what that very significant response might mean in terms of delivering public safety cut against the other problems, which gave rise to police reform debates, which is what happens when you over-police a community and everyone's treated like a suspect, especially if they happen to be black and brown. Like, this is where I think my mom's, like, sense of maybe the National Guard can help. And those faculty members at the UFC are probably not that far apart, right? Uh, Because there is a sense, like, you have to do something in the moment. You have to do something now to lock it down. I'm really interested, maybe not so much in alternative policing, but Uh I want to talk about alternatives to policing. That's it. That's it. Say it. So let's, let's, let's talk about safety and justice and what that looks like without policing. Yes. Uh, Safety and justice without policing. Well, that's right. Because people want those things, but they're having a hard time trying to get there without police playing a big role. I mean, my mom, the other night over dinner, she looked at me and she was like, you know, this is terrible. Um, You know, she mentioned Donald Trump's call for the National Guard a few years ago and and said something to the effect of like, you know, maybe Donald Trump was right about that, right for the wrong reasons, because he really didn't care about Chicago. But maybe since the police are failing, the National Guard can do better. Yeah. Yeah. And she said it and she said it 
in a way that she's like, and I know you don't agree. Um, hmm. But she was also daring me to have a better response. Yeah. Uh, and, and it shows that, and, yeah, in the aftermath of the shooting in Hyde Park, one of the things that's been real clear to me is just like people need some kind of response to it. And they they need a sense of safety, and that could come in all sorts of forms. There's that, there, there's that demand for a sense of accountability or right. writing the moral balance. And yeah. here, here in Hyde Park, after those crimes, what was offered was um, more yeah, policing. A lot, a, a lot more cops, right? <laughs> a lot, a, a like lot Sophia co- said, boots on the ground. Um, I think I might have told you this. I'm not sure. But, you know, my brother, Jake, who runs a music venue in the neighborhood, just, just a block from yeah, where yeah. the shooting happened. The promontory, happened. yep. The promontory. Mm-hmm. He was, the Friday after the shooting, he was having uh, a show there, a concert that happened to be a rap act, you know. And the police essentially showed up and were like, nah, nah, if you have this show and, and anything happens anywhere in the neighborhood at any time afterward, we're going to hold you accountable. And so he had to postpone the show. Is that even lawful? <laughs> I mean, for real, though. I mean, I, I mean this in, so, in, in asking that question is just a little tip of the spear of where the slippery slope ends up. Um, so, I mean, just to, just to kind of put a, put a pin on this point. So, you know, this is in many ways hotspot policing as the entire neighborhood of Hyde Park. This is the, basically the idea that you have a hotspot, right? An area where we've identified a lot of crime happening in a concentrated space. And in the tradition of hotspot policing that's been going on for about 25 years, now this community, our community, which hasn't really experienced this level of intensified spectacular violence, now is saying, we want all these things that we've tried in what's called high crime areas that are often low income communities, often yeah. with black and brown people. So, so let, let's talk about, you know, these are, that's what's been presented here. Yep. Let's you and I talk about some other alternatives to policing, not alternative well, policing, but alternatives right. to policing. Right. Well, I, I just want to emphasize what you said, which is that, I mean, this notion of accountability is, is a kind of is a kind of emotional response for safety. And so uh, part of what what we are seeing happen and what you've been seeing locally and been part of these conversations is that people want to see something happen. Yeah, and man, so I, feel, I feel it too. Thing, yeah, yeah, I feel the it. Most, the most visible thing, you know, is some visible presence of some kind of force for good, <laughs> whether it's a blue uniform or a yellow vest, you know, people who are basically private security. They're people hired to just keep an eye on things. They're, they unarm, they wear a vest, you know, to, to let you know that they're there to keep an eye on you. But we know, to your point, like, we know that the menu of options is actually much greater than yep. what we're even hearing in our own home community. All right, we so know, let's, let's run through it. Let's run through that, the menu. That's right. That's right. Uh, let's call these the shovel-ready immediate responses. Okay. Um, ding, ding, ding. We got shovel-ready right. immediate responses. No, <laughs> because <laughs> I like when, that. You, when you think about opportunity out of crisis, um, you think about like what's on the shelf that we can, we can mobilize at this moment, and maybe we hardwire it as a long-term fix. So I'm going uh, to throw out one to first. Go. Okay, go for it. Violence interruption. Yes. 
Yes, I think I think in fact, uh, if if we were playing a version of uh, a Family Feud, that would be the number one answer. Why okay. is that the case? Because the the very concept of putting uh, people who already live in a community in charge of conflict mediation, who have trustworthy relationships with members of the community who can go to them and say, hey, I've got a problem with so-and-so, and if someone doesn't help me fix it, you know, there's going to be drama. There's going to be violence, and we need to figure out a way to stop this before it happens. Yeah. And this is a 20-year-old proven approach to violence uh, mediation, and it's, it's working in Chicago, it's working in Baltimore, it's working in New York City. I've seen it That's up right. close with my own eyes. Um, and it's been discussed uh, in, in some ways, nationally but, but, at but various not enough. times. But nowhere but near not enough. enough. Yeah, I mean, so we have to invest hugely in community violence interruption. It's proven, it's empirically strong, and it works. Okay, so second on the menu. So yep. the, the, the fact is that about probably more than 90% of what police respond to are nonviolent offenses. That's right, and, so and, the, and sometimes the, the numbers are as low as 5%. I mean, yeah. In terms of what they actually record calls for service, right? That's the data we have for uh, when police actually are responding to someone, member of the public saying, I need help. About 5% or less of those often are for something that we call violence. So, so there's another solution, which is that for first responders to mental health crises, to homelessness cases, to many drug cases, to even traffic stops... You could send people who are experts in those and who are not armed police officers. That's right. You can have, you can have a different set of, of first responders. That's right. So just to be clear, I mean, this isn't about violence interruption. This is just about people who need help. And yep. in a society, particularly in communities that are starved for resources, there just isn't a whole lot of infrastructure if, if you need help. If you've got somebody in distress, uh, if you need, I mean... I know in our own suburban community, police officers literally, I mean, like the old classic case of my cat crawled up into a tree. Could you help get my cat out of the tree? Um, I and, know and this so, for a fact because we've I've been at meetings where people have talked about how ridiculous it is that the police have to do this kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when, when people talk about defund, if there's a limited uh, pool of money, <laughs> that right. more of that money would go to these alternatives these right. other responders rather than to armed police officers to take on these cases, which they have not been trained in many cases to do, almost in all cases. Right, right. To, they're not mental health experts. They're not social service workers, those kinds that, of things. That's right. And so and this, that, is, just to, this is something that's also been, been done in cities and states across yes, the country. Yes, been done in cities and states across the country. So a third thing on the menu is something that actually some of my neighbors brought up here in, in response to the recent spate of crime, and that's mm -hmm. having more positive loitering. So, right. you know, one of my neighbors talked about having ambassadors going out on the street and definitely not a community watch and definitely not something to call the police on people, but just to be present on corners and to meet people and to build community. This is something that also happens in Englewood, the neighborhood where we, we discussed in the episode with Tanika yeah, Johnson. Fighting inequities through art, yes. Yeah, that, that yeah, yeah. and you know, there are a group of mothers that hang out on corners on, on Fridays and Saturday nights to make sure that, that violence doesn't happen. This right. is a way to build community and, and to strengthen the bonds in, in, in different neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's a, it's, the sociologists call this collective efficacy, and, uh, and some of my own colleagues have written a lot about this. 
basically communities that have thriving nonprofit organizations that are doing art activities, that are doing youth-based activities, where there's just a lot of rich social engagement and that it often is taking place in public spaces often is not just a deterrent to crimes of opportunity, but also is, is a sign of community well-being. And, yep. and it's kind of a virtuous cycle. So, you know, we presented these ideas, but none of them are really going to get us to like, you know, deeper structural changes. They're not going to get us there in terms of public safety. Right. What this means, practically speaking, is these are actually the things that we ought to do in this yeah. moment, in Hyde yep. Park, in Inglewood, and other places. When we want to answer the question, what should we do to minimize the chance that people will use guns to settle differences, will act out in public by spraying up whole communities, and will feel the frustrations of their societies by taking them out on their loved ones, when, when they don't have social service or mental health professionals to talk to first, these are the responses. I think we got to yeah. lean into that, right? We got to yeah, yeah. say, here Definitely. is your answer, right? And, and we need a lot more. And we need we, a lot more, right? And yeah, all of those, like you said, are critical and they're incredibly useful. They're and not only useful, they work, right? They, they work. Stop, they stop the harm before mm-hmm. it happens at the point of the breakdown, right? When something's exactly. broken down. You know, people have been out of work, they've been out of school. They've, they've seen the complete unequal responses to the pandemic. And this is on, you know, the tail end of police violence and foreclosure crisis and closed schools and closed hospitals and closed mental health facilities. And, you know, this idea that you, you treat the effect of all those causes, which is violence, the uptick in violence that we're seeing in Chicago and everywhere, and, and, and don't look at any of the causes seems crazy. Yeah, that's exactly right. Let's lean, in, lean into this idea. Like, let's imagine government pushing and doing all the things we want. Let's imagine yeah. the structural so, changes. So, so if I'm, you know, I'm worried about crime in my neighborhood and I'm, I want something immediate and I'm, I'm scared right now. And, you know, two jokers on this podcast say, uh, well, you need big structural changes. You know, that sounds almost like pie-in-the-sky stuff. It sounds like it'll never happen. It sounds impossible. And just, you know, hearing you talk and thinking about this made me think about the, the work that you do as a historian mm-hmm. and that, that these kinds of investments are not only possible, but they, it's proven that they lead to public safety, that they Dude, lead to uh, crime yeah. reduction. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, uh, thank you. Thank you for setting me up to talk about the condemnation of blackness. Oh, but, you know, uh. the short version of this is at a time in American short history. Version, when, short version. Short version. Yeah, when white people were <laughs> killing each other uh, on the streets of Chicago, our Wh- When are we talking about here? What, we're talking what, what about, era? We're talking about the early 20th century, the turn of the okay. 20th century with huge economic inequalities. White immigrants were struggling. They were subject to all kinds of racist attacks and stigma attached to them. Eventually, this got so bad that that prohibition was passed, you know, like ding, 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 massive effort to lock up everybody having anything to do with alcohol distribution. Like a precursor to war on drugs. Precursor to war on drugs. 
right? Yeah. Massive failure. It criminalized the massive numbers of low-income, working-class white people that were committing a lot of crime, to be sure. There was a lot of violence in those communities. But the social response so to So what it, was the response? What was the, the response? The social yeah. response was massive investments in those communities that led from the progressive era to the New Deal. They got, they got housing. They got economic security through, uh, through various rights as workers. We got uh, unemployment insurance. We got Social Security. They got access to the American dream with homes. We got police reform. Um, I mean, we could run down the list of all the things that most people know about as kind of yeah. the New Deal, the same stuff that is inspiring Build Back Better today and all kinds of infrastructure. But what people don't realize is a lot of that was absolutely a direct response to crime in white working class and immigrant communities. And and it It was a massive crime solution response. And it worked. And it worked. So thank you for that, Professor. You're welcome. Uh, Let's talk more about today, how we get structural change. Like how how can we possibly get this structural change that's going to lead to reduction in crime? And, And one of the ways we do it is through protest. Right. That's right. It is a key. I mean, man, you are you are on fire today. That's right. I know. I know. Uh, hot, hot, hot. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Right. No. No massive change in society happens without people in the streets demanding a change. demand. Demanding a demand change. Needs to be right. Made. And so yeah. a key word that Derricka used is organize. So people organize people to agree upon what it is that they want to see change. When have we seen this before? Yeah, I mean, this gets us back to the summer of 2020 and all the protests. And, you know, after George Floyd is killed by police, Breonna Taylor is killed by police, Jacob yeah. Blake is yeah. killed by police. Yeah, like m- massive organizing to change society for the better. And then we get like crazy police crackdown and yeah. we get white self-deputized men like Kyle Rittenhouse. I mean, yeah. like like and literally a, a, as the response to the possibility of actually changing these things in a, in a, in a big structural way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we were recording uh, earlier and while we were recording, we got news of the verdict in his case, in Kyle Rittenhouse's case, that he was acquitted yeah. of all charges. Yeah, no, and, I just... It was disturbing because we were, we were in the middle of talking about all of these issues. And I think, you know, for both of us, we're still processing. And yeah, and we were just sort of completely dumbfounded by it and, and sort of overwhelmed. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is still hard to fathom that when Kyle Rittenhouse can be acquitted for, for arming himself to be willing to shoot protesters who are protesting for racial justice and an end to police brutality, that he doesn't symbolize a society writ large that privileges police power over protests. And yeah. and so to me, part of the challenge for us at this moment in, in taking stock of our own community, taking stock of where we are, is that, you know, Derek is right. Like like a lot of good things are happening in spite of all of this. Yeah, it also prioritizes policing over healthcare and education and and housing and and all sorts of things that also, as we know, reduce crime. Yeah, or or even back to like public health interventions, like all these other menu of choices keep falling prey to the immediate need to say we need policing. And yet in so many ways, as we've just talked about, it 
it's not going to get us there. And in fact, it's a source of the problem. Yeah, it's easy to feel a lot of despair. I mean, sort of in the, you know, hearing the the Kyle Rittenhouse verdict, uh, overwhelmed by crime. I've got neighbors who are talking about leaving Chicago. Uh, Yeah, yeah. You sent me that uh, Chicago Tribune report about like hundreds of thousands, 200 and something thousand by people left Chicago recently. 250,000 in the last 20 years. Yeah, plus one, including my mom, right? Including (laughs) 260,000 and one. Right. You know, it sucks. It's already rough. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and... it's hard to think about these these big structural changes, you know. It's hard right. to to you know when when the crisis feels right now. But That's I right. gotta say that there is a sign of progress. It doesn't happen all at once. It happens over time. Right. Yeah. And maybe maybe you and I have to be more patient with people as they find well, their well, way through. Well, yeah. Fuck patience. Right? I mean, like we have. To, yeah. <laughs> well, we no. But to, I mean, we have to I mean, keep like, on making these points. Is, yeah. But I, right. But like. Making the case requires some degree of patience for people who have the, this existential sense of crisis. Like, I can't send my kid to school right now. Um, yeah. Like, let's see his friends. Like, you know, you have to come home immediately. Like, they, there, there yeah. is that immediacy. And I think, I think what we what we want to say in response, what we've said just now, is that you can do both. And yeah, yeah. Like, you need to you need to focus on the things we can do, which are these public health violence interruption responses, redirecting actual public resources towards the actual um, service providers, social workers who can take care of most of what people need, and make long-term investments in actually changing the conditions that produce and breed violence in the first place. Yeah, and and, and you know, you know what you're saying is, I, I think that listen, we can't wait for some pie in the sky utopia. We can't wait for like everything to be solved in order to like delve into the this important structural work, these big changes. That has to happen right now. Like we're not going to get to some magical time when there's no violent crime. Yeah, well, I would say it actually even differently. I would say one, it's not utopic to see what most communities look like where murders happen, you know, every decade or so or once a year, right? That's not an abstraction. That's very real in tons of communities across this country. Um, it's, yeah. It describes mostly the community I live in. But everything else that also describes this community is a community with tremendous economic resources, tremendous economic security, uh, a community where, where people have most of what they need. You're talking and, about your your suburb in New Jersey. Yeah, I'm talking about my suburb, but it's just it's just one of many, and that and they're not all suburbs. Sometimes they're even neighborhoods inside of cities, like your own, like yeah. like part parts you know parts, parts of Chicago. Of Park. Yep. Yeah. So so I think we have you know we have to work to demystify this notion that there is a way to invest in people and not policing. That we want to invest in the actual people. Because we know, we have all the evidence we need to know that we're not doing a very good job of that. Yeah, and we, and and we, as, need, to, we need to do it now. We need to do it right. now. We need and to as long as And as long as we think 
that this moment is unique. Like, no, 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 Khalil and Ben, this is this is such a crazy moment of bullets flying everywhere that we yeah. just need to solve for this problem. There's, there's always ben, gonna be there's always there's gonna be always, the there's, there's right. always gonna be the crime that that rattles people. That's right. You know, it, yeah. it, there's there's always gonna be the worst case scenario that says. Unfortunately, you know, we win. just have to do these things uh, and police are going to be the people who, who protect us. All right, my man. All right. Love you, man. I love you, too. Some of my best friends are is a production of Pushkin Industries. The show is written and hosted by me, Khalil Gibran Muhammad, and my best friend, Ben Austin. It's produced by Cher Vincent and edited by Karen Shakurji. Our engineer is Martin Gonzalez. Our associate editor is Keishel Williams. Our associate producer is Lucy Sullivan. And our showrunner is Sasha Mathias. Our executive producers are Leetal Molad and Mia LaBelle. Special thanks to Sophia King, my alderman, and to my state senator, Robert Peters, who also spoke to us for this episode. At Pushkin, thanks to Heather Fain, Carly Migliori, John Schnars, and Jacob Weisberg. Our theme song, Little Lily, is by fellow Chicagoan Avery R. Young from his amazing album Tubman. You will definitely want to check out more of his music at his website, AveryRYoung.com. You can find Pushkin on all social platforms at Pushkin Pods, and you can sign up for our newsletter at Pushkin.fm. To find more Pushkin podcasts, Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. If you love this show and others from Pushkin Industries, consider becoming a Pushnik. Pushnik is a podcast subscription that offers bonus content and uninterrupted listening for $4.99 a month. Look for Pushnik exclusively on Apple Podcast subscriptions. If you like this show, please give it a five-star review. And please tell some of your best friends about it. You could add, like, a lot of your best friends. All of your best friends. <laughs> All of your best friends. Now. <laughs> if you like this show... Please give it a five-star review. <laughs> Wait till you hear it. I'll say it again. If you like this show, please give it a five-star review. And please tell some of your best friends about it. You could add, like, a lot of your best friends. All of your best friends. <laughs> All of your best friends. Now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, from as far as a lot of research goes, and this is my Ballywick, right? This is the stuff that I work on at Ballywick. policy school. Ballywick. Right, Ballywick, new word of the day. <laughs> Man, is, is that's that... how people talk at Harvard. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. <laughs> so, so, so. This is my Ballywick today. <laughs> you know, no, no, so, that's my Ballywick. All right, all right, we got it, we got it, we got it.